Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Is social media doing the devil's work? That's only partly tongue-in-cheek. Do Twitter and Facebook twist our personalities because they bring out the sarcasm and cruelty lurking inside, well, some of us? I think, at the very least, social media present us with daily moral dilemmas, small-scale but often devastating in their impact. Do you retweet that nasty one-liner? Do you make it yourself? And if this is the case, why are religious leaders so hopeless at addressing the subject? I'm joined by Harry Mount, editor of The Oldie, Freddie Gray, deputy editor of The Spectator, and, appropriately, Lara Prendergast, who's online editor of The Spectator and has written a brilliant cover story this week about how people are finding it increasingly difficult to escape their social media past. Lara, do you think it's true that people are nastier online than they are in real life? Absolutely. I'm always very surprised by the things that people say on Twitter, which I don't think they'd say to someone in real life. I think actually often when we've done podcasts here, you get people together who you think are going to come to loggerheads. And actually, in real life, they would never dream of saying the stuff that they say to each other online. And I don't know why that is. I think perhaps there's a sense that you're you're sort of one step back from these people and you're not engaging with them properly. But for some reason, social media has allowed us to sort of create this barrier and people just let rip and say things that they honestly wouldn't, you know. What sort of things? People will regularly kind of swear at each other. I mean, the Toby thing has been an interesting case study because... This is I, I saw Toby someone, Young, I saw who's someone been in such trouble about, for about things Toby, he said on Toby Media. Yeah. contributor. Yeah posting really vitriolic things about Toby. And I don't think he would say that to Toby in real life. But for some reason, it, this you know, the floodgates have opened and you're now allowed to say whatever you want about Toby Young. And you can swear and you can be horrible. And I don't think that used to be... I don't know. I, I feel like that didn't used to be the case, that people would feel well, quite so free. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever had such an indignant reaction to a couple of actually very indignant tweets from me uh, the way... Toby was being treated. But really, it's an, it's an illusion, isn't it, Harry, that a tweet doesn't happen in real life? Because when you tweet, you're saying something, and it's far from being removed from your audience. Actually, people often take tweets very, very personally indeed, don't they? Yes, but it's much, much easier to write abuse sitting in your pants in your bedroom without having the person you're abusing in the room at the same time. Absolutely. It's perfectly logical that you're going to be ruder when the person isn't there. It makes perfect sense. We've all been doing that for centuries in terms of gossip. We gossip about people who we wouldn't actually say those things to their faces. Twitter is just a way of massively magnifying that gossip and also making it nastier. I think there's a difference also between someone like... Toby Young, who I must confess is a friend of mine. But when you're a journalist and you're a sort of shock jock journalist, you're saying things to shock or to amuse. And I can see why some people don't like the things he said. But the difference is between trying to be amusing and straightforward ad hominem abuse in a tweet, being just straightforwardly nasty with no intention to amuse. I think there's a massive difference between those two things. And I think another really important dimension to it is, is one of time you can tweet whenever you like and there are those of us who you know get out of bed on the wrong wrong side of bed and we're in the mood to pick a fight 
And now Twitter says, hey, I'm here if you want to pick a fight. Mm. Just have a look at your Twitter feed and see what makes you cross uh, uh, and say something nasty and sarcastic. And I was looking at my own Twitter feed and thought, my God, if, if this was all I said in the way of conversation... And I said it at a dinner party. I'd never be invited back. <laughs> you do one. say those things at a dinner party, don't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not invited <laughs> very often. <laughs> Freddie, what do you think? Well, I think the instantaneous nature is key. I mean, I think people say the internet is morally neutral, and it is. But the speed at which everything happens online means that it brings out the very worst of human nature very, very quickly. And I think you're touching on a religious aspect of this. This is why I think the Pope, were he not writing encyclicals about things he probably shouldn't be writing encyclicals about, should do an encyclical or something, the church or a church should do something very, very big and sweeping about morality on the internet. Because I think everybody is completely lost. I think the internet poses difficult spiritual moral questions about who we are. And unfortunately, it seems to be a very dark place. And if you have a dark view of human nature, which I do, you can see online that people are fundamentally, I know I am, fundamentally nasty online. Your instinctive reaction when you see someone you don't like saying something is to think, I'm going to crush, I want to crush that, I want to react angrily to that. And that's something you have to fight quite hard. And so I think you need sort of, you know, spiritual guidance on this stuff, which which I don't think we've had. And I think there's a bit more to it than that as well, which is that the existence of these media means that it's an opportunity to bring out things that wouldn't otherwise be brought up. So when, if we use the language of religion, when people sin, it's often because there's an occasion of sin and they're presenting themselves with an occasion of sin. An occasion of sin is, in this case, going on social media, which for many of us is is something we can't avoid. Although I, I must say, looking at the three of you, all three of you are notably continent and polite and witty on the relatively rare occasions when you take to social media. Got very low followers. So few followers. I do think though what's been interesting with the Toby thing talking about sinning is Toby actually said sorry for some of these things he had said, but by that point it was sort of too late in the eyes of Twitter. He 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 wasn't forgiven. People weren't willing to say, Well, he said these things. I've heard quite a lot of people saying, Well, he's an adult, like he he made these decisions, that's that. There's no going back. And I think that's the slightly terrifying thing about social media is that actually you can't you there's can't no really forgiveness. atone, and, you, and there is no, there's really no forgiveness online. And it's not just a question of forgiveness. I mean, I, I know Toby not not nearly as well as, as you guys do, maybe, but I know that the Toby they are describing is more or less unrecognisable as the Toby I know, who's when I had to deal with him as a commissioning editor was, you know, unfailingly polite and professional and funny, and also compassionate and creative. And people were judging him instead, not just by tweets, but by old tweets, which is one mm. of the things you're talking about in your article, which is yeah, the impossibility think, of escaping actually, your social media past. And when Toby first, so some of the tweets date back to 2009, and Twitter was a very different place back then. You know, People were using it more as a sort of conversational thing, messaging people they personal friends. And now it's become this public forum. And I think what Toby was caught out by was being sort of hoist by these tweets that he had never thought would... People would pay any attention to, and they did, and that's been his downfall. And you're arguing that a whole generation of, well, probably more than one generation of aspiring public figures are going to have to look very, very carefully at their Twitter feeds and maybe quickly clean them up. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Toby's story has sort of made lots of people look at their Twitter feeds and think, you know, am I prepared to defend this? And if not, is it just easier just to kind of quietly get rid of it? Apparently, there's an app that will remove swear words from your Twitter feed. Oh, really? I didn't know Yes, that. I think mine might go into overdrive. <laughs> it might, might crash on me. But. We've also reached a stage where you can't separate outspoken 
tweets and having a career in public life. It's interesting, it's very recent that, that Boris Johnson has, has managed to do it. Remember that people went through his previous articles when he became mayor and then an MP and various things he said in his very enjoyable but outspoken articles of the Telegraph. People tried to take him down for that and they didn't succeed. There is his foreign secretary, but that's partly because Boris is a Teflon politician, but it's also because that was five, ten years ago. Now the Toby incident, and Toby had a much, much more minor public role than Boris has ever had, shows you can no longer keep those two spheres separate of shock jock journalism and a public career. I, I think there might be a partisan problem there, and it made me feel a bit sort of chippy and right-wing or conservative to say it, but I think that a left-winger probably could do that. Perhaps, I think yeah. you can have a journey if you're a, a left-winger. John McDonnell could joke about killing Margaret Thatcher. Yes, yeah. you say, I was, in a, you know, I was a bad person then, I've changed, I've learnt the error of my ways, and I've, I've evolved as a person. I think the thing with Toby is he said I've changed, but no, everyone said, oh, no, but you're still a conservative, you still have right-wing views about the free market. Therefore, you must still be evil. And I had, a, I had an interesting example of this with uh, Toby on... We got a lot of media requests on Tuesday when Toby stood down from this position on the office for, board of the Office for Students. I was on with uh, the Shadow Equalities Minister... I've forgotten her name now. Dawn Butler. <laughs> Dawn, Dawn Dawn Butler. Butler. That's what she's called. Dreadful woman. And, <laughs> and uh, she really, really thought I was evil for sort of defending Toby. And before I went on, somebody, I won't say who, texted me beforehand and said, if she goes after you really hard, just bring up her expenses because she allegedly claimed for a jacuzzi and a flat screen telly or something on expenses and while she was sort of berating me and calling me pathetic and evil and you know misogynistic it did occur to me right I'm just going to say and then I thought no because I shouldn't do that because I didn't really know the details of this I just read some report save it for who's me I've saved it up for this <laughs> okay uh, the bigger audience yes. uh, and I should have said you know well we're not all perfect you know some of us you know I, I hope that I wouldn't judge you for as an MP based on the fact that you charged a jacuzzi to the taxpayer but I didn't and then afterwards I really kicked myself because I felt like I lost you know I lost on TV but you've uh, earned such a reward in heaven. But I've earned a reward. <laughs> you really have. Exactly. And now but I've blown it. So you were talking about, by implication, you were talking about a witch hunt. And a witch hunt that is directed, it seems, by the left at the right. It's almost like the, the crucible. You know, I, I saw goody, goody Toby with the devil. Yeah. And it made me think that there's a sort of paradox here, which is that the left used to regard being judgmental as one of the worst things you could possibly be, and now are hyper-judgmental at a time when they've got the tools to do it, and at a time when, should we say, our, our ethical mentors, churchmen or philosophers or whatever, just seem unable to engage with the complexity of the moral dilemmas thrown up by social media. I mean, they're not really complex. So the, it's a question of, am I going to be nasty? Am I going to suppress this mean wisecrack or not? But the fact is that the sheer speed with which you have to make decisions about this, the, the persistence of the temptation means that actually handling it is a complex business. Well, the persistence of the temptation is, you know, look at pornography on the internet. That is something that is instantly available to everybody all the time. Therefore, I imagine, uh, <laughs> not masses of people who normally would never sort of have bought a pornographic magazine or anything like that will look at pornography because it's, you know, it's curiosity combined with your worst instincts. And I, I think that's the... I don't want to stop talking about <laughs> well, There's also an element of humour, isn't there, that I think if something's really funny, then you can say practically anything. But if you're humourless or choose to remove the humour in, say, analysing one of Toby's tweets, then you're suddenly, it looks like you're saying really disgusting things. So there was Dawn Butler, who 
allegedly did claim this um, expenses fraud, and that's either a fact or it isn't. No humour there. There it is, a naked and bald fact. Mm. With Toby, the moment you put lots and lots of humour in there, you also put in lots of disgusting stuff for humorous effect. Take away the humour and it looks monstrous. It shows how very, very difficult it is to judge your audience when it's social media. Because people think sometimes either that they're talking to the enemy or sometimes they think they're talking to friends. And one thing I've noticed that happens on, on, on social media is I'll say something and it'll be something provocative and it will be appreciated by a sort of little, not my fan club, but people who share my opinions. And then it will escape from the filter bubble into the other camp. And then suddenly a day later I'll be deluged with complaints to the point where I ended up apologising to left-wing female academics for, for being mildly rude about her. And it's a first. <laughs> it was kind of, well, it was kind of a first, but... Well, you apologised online. I apologised online, and then she carried on being absolutely hysterical, and I rather wished I could retract the apology. But, sorry to bang on about myself, but Twitter can... Twitter, I, I think, is the most divisive of the social media. Everybody agrees. Twitter can cause problems that don't necessarily occur online. For example, the most disastrous failed friendship of my life. I won't say who it is, but I had a very close friendship with somebody I, I admired enormously. Then he started tweeting things that shocked me simply because I disagreed with them so much. They weren't in themselves offensive. But I reacted very badly, and at the time I was in a bad mood. His Twitter feed was in front of me, and that led me to overreact in a way that the friendship has never been repaired, and it's, it's, it's something that upsets me every day. And I sometimes think, damn you, Twitter, if you didn't exist, that friendship would still be intact. What I suddenly find scary on social media is this kind of religious zeal that people pursue others with. And I think there's a, there's a lot to suggest that sort of my age group are now attracting themselves from you know, things like Twitter and Facebook because the sense that it was kind of all ephemeral and you could just post stuff is clearly not true. Like Clearly all this stuff is being recorded. Clearly it's actually quite hard to get rid of tweets or Facebook posts. So everyone's now relying on social media that kind of deletes stuff or supposedly deletes stuff. I think just people don't want to have stuff recorded about about themselves as much as perhaps we did kind of 10 years ago. Which is a positive development in a way because it's reminding people of, if you like, sort of basic sociological truth, if you like, which is that these things are happening in real life. There is no distinction between social media and real life. Mm. These are actions and they're actions that have consequences and they're actions that are recorded. So if your generation are becoming more responsible. Well, it might make the internet a less fun place, but it might ruin fewer lives. But it might, um, make, the, it might make the internet better, but it actually might make real life really hellish. Because we've picked up because Because everyone's nasty going backwards. Habits they think, from, oh, you wouldn't say that online, so yeah. you probably shouldn't say it in yeah. real life. You can't really make a joke because you wouldn't make a joke online. And I think that's what's changing, is people at, at dinners and social occasions now, people talk as though they're self-censoring. No, you do. You have to be careful. And I think people are yes, nervous yes, you know that you're among is... friends, yeah. I think people are nervous nowadays, you know, someone might be recording it or someone might tweet something. And, you know, I've been to dinners where people said, everyone's like, please, everyone put away their phones because we just don't want... Have you? Yeah, and, I, and, I, and yeah. I think people are paranoid about well, it. Well, at and the I'm beginning, a, like a sort of... Well, just, I, well, I think there's sit down, uh, not so much please. recording, but more, you know, can we not take any photos of this? Or can we not, can I've we just, can we that, not yeah. have stuff? And I mentioned in the piece this friend of mine who at university was sort of adamant, he, he wants to go into politics one day, and he was adamant that, there should be no photos of him taking any kind of events. We all thought he was incredibly peculiar, but actually now he seems like a sort of prophet for our times because actually his social media account is squeaky clean in a way that most people's are. It's interesting that um, 
Meghan Markle has closed down her social media accounts. Yeah, because it's awful. Really? (laughs) I've looked through her Instagram. It's appalling. Is it full of feminist piety? Crap, feminist piety. If you're a... If you're a rebel, you're a person, you're a human, and all that sort of and stuff. And look what it's doing to Prince Harry. I mean, that ghastly Today programme thing. I, yes, just, I, thought, I thought he was, was fun until that. Well, I thought the worst part of that was when he asked Obama, he said it was a list of either-ors, you know, do you prefer this pop group or that pop group? That was me. And then one of the categories was Wills or Harry. And I thought, how can you ask that question without not realising what a monstrous narcissist Obama's answer was quite good. It was quite good. It was, it was like William, right William right now. Right now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obama's very smooth at that sort of thing, isn't he? Also, I mean, partly Toby's problem is he tried to reinvent himself and he wasn't able to do that because his social media past caught up with him. I mean, Harry has got, you know, PR teams behind him who are able to, you know... Prince Harry, not Prince Harry. Harry. Not, not, not <laughs> yeah, Harry. Harry does have Harry, you might have huge But Prince Harry is able to reinvent himself because he has the resources to do that. But if you've got anything online and you haven't got, the, you know, the huge PR team behind you, I don't think you can reinvent yourself. Well, that said... We haven't heard the last of Toby Young, and I mean that in a good way, because he's a man of enormous benevolence, actually, and enormous imagination, and he'll come through this. Other people I have seen destroyed by their own tweets, not so much because of the reaction to it, but because they've just become nasty, paranoid, and short-tempered. And my goodness, you know, it's happened to me, and sometimes I try and row back from it, but... If your generation really are reining themselves in, I think that's a very, very positive development. And there's the other side to it, which is those who attack those people who are outspoken. Tom Hodgkinson said this good thing today. It's like the two minutes hate in 1984, is that now you can, Toby isn't destroyed. That particular job has been destroyed by the equivalent of an Orwellian two minutes hate. So it's not just the outspoken thing you say, it's the virtue signaling Twitter mob destroying you. Harry, Laura... Freddie, thank you very much, and I shall now go away and advertise this podcast on Twitter.